Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman. I'm your host, and this is episode 209. I had a chat with Lucian Johnson. He is a composer and musician. He has a show uh, that he has co-created with his partner, Lucy. She's a dancer and choreographer. He's written the show and and scored it and plays the music. They've devised it together. It's, um, it's at the New Zealand Festival and it opens next week as you're hearing this. Uh, we didn't do this conversation just to plug the show because he's they've nearly sold it out. If you can get a ticket, um, go. It's going to be fantastic. It's called Strasbourg 1518. Um, but I wanted to have this conversation with him for a long time. In fact, I think we a couple of years ago I first asked him about it because I was always interested in his background uh, as a jazz player in Wellington and abroad. Um, he's the son of Louis Johnson, uh, who was a famous New Zealand poet. Uh, and he didn't know his father very well. His father died when he was young. He talks about that at the start of the podcast. But uh, his dad was a... a contemporary of the likes of James K. Baxter and and really, you know, part of historical New Zealand poetry royalty. Um, so that's interesting and that's, you know, part of the reason I wanted to talk to him. But I remember seeing Lucien perform at the Space in Newtown when he was probably, he's a few years younger than me, so he's probably still a teenager. And uh, he's played with all of the, all of the great players in, in New Zealand and jazz and then he's gone overseas. He lived in France for years, uh, he's gone and played, he got obsessed with Ethio Jazz for a while, he actually went to Ethiopia and performed. Uh, he's played all around the world, he was briefly a touring member of the Black Seeds, that was his money gig for a while. Um, so we had a whole lot of stuff to talk about as well as this, this move in recent years towards working in theatre and, and actually being a a composer um, he's done a PhD in music he's worked with um, you know people from classical background uh, one of his uh, mentors was John Sarthus who's an amazing New Zealand composer uh, an internationally regarded and renowned composer so this was a big old chat about about music a lot of jazz stuff in here a lot of uh, talking about connecting with jazz which jazz has always been big in my life and I discovered it as a teenager so we you know we talked about getting hooked on Thelonious and Ellington and Miles Davis and Coltrane and all of those, all of those greats, those towering figures. I love this conversation. I'm glad we finally got to have it. Um, there's a whole lot in here, and I and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, my thanks, as always, to T Leaf T and Yeasty Boys. This is me talking with Wellington-based composer and musician Lucian Johnson. Um, so I was thinking when you were coming around, like, I mean, we know each other reasonably well, but we in, in the sense that I've known you for a while, I've seen yeah. you play heaps, but we don't we don't sit yeah, down and chat. Right. We don't, you know, we've said hello and yeah. we've exchanged a couple of messages. So yeah, yes. but we must have um, we must have sort of come to Wellington vaguely around the same time. I guess. Well, I grew up here, but yeah, but yeah, sort of came into the scene about the same time. Yeah, well, I can remember going to the the space and it's early, yeah. well, when, you know, it was only around for a finite time, but that was the start of a real movement, right, that's continued yeah. on through a couple of other venues and yeah. spawned a bunch of great players and mini scenes and things. Yeah. So you must have been pretty young when you were doing that. Yeah, I mean, teenager yeah, still, I was, or, I was still yeah. a teenager, I was yeah. at, uh, at jazz school at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was the birth of a whole lot of stuff as well, like the jazz festival and yeah. um, I guess the whole welly kind of seen that what what yes. is known for musically yes. kind of yeah, it's all of the um the the famous bands in the yes. mainstream uh featured a lot of um your contemporaries 
totally. As yeah. and, I, as, and, and yourself as well. As yeah. like the sideline players, or they went off and formed that as the money gig or whatever, right? That's I'm talking right, about yeah. Trinity Roots and Freddies and, and, Freddies and Black Seeds and yeah, yeah, all of that yeah. loop sort of. And I don't think people realise quite how much the other kind of thing fed into, you know, like the, the more abstract or experimental sides of Wellington music actually kind of fed into um, that kind of more mainstream scene mm. and how we all played together and you know, people like Toby Lang and Richard mm. Dirch I've played with since those days and much more yes. um, kind of, yeah, experimental or, or just bands, you know, just fun bands and, and we all did a whole bunch of stuff really. Um, I think that's the strength of Wellington music is really that diversity. And it's funny, like the, the rhythm section of the Phoenix Foundation now and, yeah. and for the last few years... Um, who are obviously are great in that role. Yes. Um, it's kind of like, as I understand it, a few people are kind of going, wow, these guys have done all this other kind of crazy shit on the side, or yeah. you know, which is what um, Chris and Tom... Yeah, well, that was my first jazz trio. It was me, Chris, and Tom. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that was when I was 16. So, yeah. Yeah, that's how we wow. started. Wow, wow. And so now you're still doing stuff in that realm, which we'll get to, but, but um, by the time people hear this... Um, you uh, you're in the middle of uh, or you're rehearsing and finishing off a giant festival project. Yeah, so that was the that was the beginning, and this is what it's kind of culminated in for mm. me is um, somehow uh, through a, a very kind of winding road, mm, which we'll go back and try yeah. <laughs> and try and piece together. Yeah, is working um, a, a lot of the time as a composer and kind of experimental. Well, no, it's, I don't want to say that just in contemporary dance and, and theatre, mm. um, which is a really fascinating realm for me. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I just really love working in, in, in dance, especially because you have you have a, a really autonomous kind of role. I mean, you're working in collaboration with the, with the choreographer and the director and that kind of thing, but you get to, to really invest your own voice into the, into the um, artwork. And... People are actually, I find, far more receptive to listening to music when there's a strong visual yeah. element. Yes. And they'll, they'll, they'll like an deal. extra storyline that's happening, basically. Yeah. Like. yeah, or even just with the visual. Yeah, yeah. Aid. No, but I mean the visual aid is, <laughs> yeah. is creating some parallels, regardless of whether yeah. there's an actual narrative thing. Yeah, they There's a storyline to all music. Yes. And they and can make these connections in their brain, which they tend to maybe struggle with when music gets too abstract and it's just music. Mm-mm. Um, and you must have um, experienced and got, and got fucked off with people getting up and wandering off to get a drink and coming back at, at gigs. Yeah. So there's l- far less of that, right? Like there's an interval, yeah. there's no interval, but there's a showtime and people get their drink if they want it and then they yeah. sit down and they're, they're stuck there and they pr- yeah. presumably want to be there. I mean, that's something that's quite unique to New Zealand culture, though. Is it? Yeah. I yeah. never found that so much overseas. Yeah. People go to gigs and they go to watch and listen. Yeah, I've only been more. to a handful of shows in, well, in Australia it's a little bit similar to here, but in right. America I've found, I've only been to a handful of shows, but yeah, I've yeah. people go to shows, they want to see. They want to see them. <laughs> You're right, that, music, is a, yeah. that is a horrible New Zealand, like, <laughs> how can we combine, you know, two yeah. things? How can we talk over the music yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um so this this show you've got four shows yeah and you they've sold well yeah you're well well towards selling out which is what 
uh, anyone wants. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, how, t- take me through how this project came together and how long it, it took to put this one together. Um, well, Lucy, my partner, mm. is choreographer and director. Um, so we have a company together, Borderline Arts Ensemble. And our, fir- our first full-length show was about three years ago, which was called Lobsters, mm. which was kind of like a surreal cabaret, really. Um, that was kind of a sort of underground success. And... Um, a little while after that, the festival approached us and said, hey, if you've got some ideas, mm. come and bring them to us. Um, and so around that time, I found this article in The Guardian. It was a book review about this um, dancing plague in the Middle Ages. And I just found the story so bizarre and uh, intriguing. Mm. Um, that, And it seemed to really suit our kind of style of surreal, kind of dreamlike things mm. uh, rooted in, in kind of reality and um, and so I, I, I said to Lucy I think this should be our next show we should make mm. a show mm. it, it's a, it was such a bizarre story that it seemed equally strange to me that nobody had really cottoned onto it and done something about it before mm. and I, that I've sort of been we've been living in fear that yes that you're going to uncover that, the <laughs> that, but I, I have to say, and actually we saw something in New York when we were in New York last year mm. based on this and we were thinking, oh shit, somebody's done it. Mm. Um, and we went down to it and, it and it was sort of this amateur theatre thing about it and it was terrible. So we were just like, oh, we're, okay. <laughs> we're okay. We're okay. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. But I have heard about uh, three other people who are saying, oh, I'm doing something about that mm. Um, mm. from various parts of the world, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, as long as you come at it, as long as you, it's a good, yeah, <laughs> and, and b you come at it from an angle that hasn't been yes completely, you know, so you're avoiding any sort of plagiarism at no. all. You've got your own no, take no on work. it, so yeah. yeah, yeah, then you're okay. And so, yeah, you went to New York. There was a a, a, a jewel scholarship. Yes. How did that come about? Well, I mean, um, that was from the Arts Foundation. Mm. Uh, it's called the Harriet Friedlander Residency. And uh, I think that was, um, I mean, they have a kind of secret process about how they select people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. It's just good um, news. Yeah, it's yeah. just good news that yeah. comes out of the blue. Um, uh-huh. And Simon Bowden rang, rang, gave me a call one day and said, hey, you're going to New York. Yeah. Um, which was just amazing. And and we got it together, I mean, and partly, partly it was because of the, the company that we founded together and, the six, you know, we, it came quite soon after we'd done Lobsters and that was a success, winning a bunch of working theatre awards and that kind of thing. But I think it was also in recognition of both of our individual careers that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lucy's, you know, done had an amazing career as a dancer, working with New Zealand Dance Company and all these mm. great choreographers, and now she's doing her own thing. So, so yeah, we 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 were just stoked to get that really out of the blue. Now I'm going to guess you met through uh, through work. Well, no, did you not? It was. It was uh, it was a bit of a rom-com kind of scenario, <laughs> to be honest. The meet cute. Yeah, it was a total meet cute. We um, we met each other one night. It was actually at Eleanor Catton's book launch. Mm-hmm. We both happened to be That's there. That's the very New Zealand arty yeah. meet cute. We're yeah, we Unity Books. Um, mm. Yeah, so <laughs> there we go. Okay, and then it's yeah. like, what do you do? Yeah. You know, what's your, what's your hobby? What's your hobby? Oh, yeah. Pretty much. This is good. Yeah, <laughs> we can, <laughs> it's kind of... What, so, what you know, I want to ask the naive question about what's it like 
working with your partner, this is not the yeah. first time you guys have developed, a, as you say, a company and, and, and presumably a process or two around, yeah. because you're working in different disciplines, but you're yes. using those your background in different disciplines to to create a work together. Yeah, and we have very kind of um, compatible skills, I guess. I mean, she basically mm. takes everything that the, take, takes care of all the visual aspects of it, the, so not just the choreography, but the... I mean, she over, we have a designer as well, but she oversees that kind of world. So you're translators for each other, kind of? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And so I wrote the script for this work as well, um, and I do all the music. So, mm. um, yeah, my... I, I like to think she's the eyes and I'm the ears a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to how you, you this winding path of... Yeah. You, so you, you're a Wellingtonian. Yeah. Through and through. Well, yeah, I grew up in Pukaroa Bay, so uh-huh. yeah, come yeah. first. Yeah, and what was happening for you? You grew up in an arty family? Yeah, my dad was a was a writer, he was a poet. He was a famous poet? Yeah, relatively. I don't know if that many people know, yeah. know about him, but yeah. But he was a known... He was a known poet. He published, you know, I don't know, 15 books or so. Yeah. Um, and But he died when I was seven, so I, I had only... Kind of vague memories. So you have yeah, secondhand knowledge of his Most impact of, yeah. in a way. Yeah, you and read his work. Read his work, of course. Yeah, and um, he, I, th- you know, he knew he wasn't. He was a dude who he smoked sixty cigarettes a day and drank a bottle of liquor a night. You know, so he knew that he wasn't in it for the long haul. I guess. And sure. So he wrote quite a few poems to me, kind of basically with the knowledge this, that he wasn't going you're to going to be reading those yeah, when I'm yeah, not around yeah this pretty is, much. you know like like um, confession tapes or what, you know, <laughs> not yeah, quite yes yeah, yeah. yeah wow and so I mean and he, when I say he's famous he's a number I mean he was part of a, a, a the literary scene and of the yeah. time which included you know you what your Loris Edmonds Baxter's I mean he kind of predates a lot yes of I mean he so he he uh he came to he came to Wellington. He was part of this so-called Wellington group of poets, and mm. after the war through to the sixties, really. So there was Herman Baxter and um, Alistair Campbell and um, Peter Bland, mm. a couple of others, mm. Mm. Um, who who really instigated this thing in New Zealand poetry, which was kind of anti um, the kind of identity question that seems to plague New Zealand art, <laughs> yes yes know? yes and it still does you mm. know we have to make things about New Zealand and about our landscape mm. about our kind of situation or whatever and he was really wanted to find universal themes which is kind of ironic because I mean he didn't go overseas till he was in his 40s mm. I mean he had um he but, came from a working very working class background and just didn't have the opportunities that, that I had for example you know but that's clearly Indirectly or probably quite directly, that's informed a lot of your approach, right? Yeah, yeah. I've never been interested in yeah too much reflecting what, where you're from and, yeah. and and feeling tied to that and yeah yeah feeling tied to it. I think is, yeah is a good way of putting it. Yeah, and, and when you do because I spent you know six years over in France and mm. I think you do have more of an appreciation for New Zealand and stuff when you when you do live overseas maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have, I've never really tried to make out about New Zealand or so, any of that kind of thing. So he he died when you were young, and you wouldn't have known that much about his career and who he was in those years that you had. 
it would have had no, some indication no. that dad was a, did some writing well, but I'm just trying to think of it as a you know I've got an eight year old right I'm wondering you know I've no idea what he thinks of who I am and what right. I do so no but I think when you're a boy you sort of really tend to look up to your father mm. so much so mm. I, I, so he was just yeah. dad that's what I'm saying he was just dad when he well was no especially because he died young I think I in my head kind of built him up even, mm-hmm. even more you know mm-hmm. And he was he was a figure in that literary scene, not just for his for his writing, but also for, also for the kind of gregarious character yes. that he was. And, yeah. And he was um, an editor and publisher, and mm. I think he was, for example, the first one to publish Hone Tufari and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was really um, kind of up there in the scene as well as just yes. his writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he in a you know not always in in a good way. I mean, he was. He had him and Baxter had this kind of big war against Kerno, which mm. was kind of historic mm. fight, literary battle of the fifties yeah. and sixties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing. Now, and other siblings, and yeah, I have a sister, and I have, my dad had three marriages, and I have half siblings scattered around as well. Yeah, and are you yeah. have you been connected to them? Not since? the half Not, ones that yeah. much. Yeah, yeah just yeah. my my full my full sister lives. Yeah. Um, up the road here, so okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, where in your in your life at this point, in the, in the early years, and particularly, and then I guess when your father dies, where where's your mother and all this? What you know? What's your relationship yeah. with her? Um, well, my mum um, is just a, a really um, a caring person who's really uh, just wants to do good for people. And she was a teacher, and she worked. So she worked a lot um, as well overseas, uh, doing kind of voluntary, like voluntary services abroad and that mm. kind of thing. So she's done stunts in Madagascar and Tanzania and Cambodia and all these different places, and and uh, and worked for like victim support and mm. all these kind of amazing things. And yeah, she's not a um, she's a sort of hardened socialist atheist. Mm. Not a Christian at all, but she definitely has a very um, generous spirit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you can sort of yeah, you can sort of see how those two very distinct oh, okay. sets of personalities like, had have shaped you. I'd like to I'd like to think that yeah, yeah. I could love good it good them. good couple of um, good couple of influences if Role you if you take yeah. yeah you take the positives yeah totally yeah okay and so what's happening in Pukarua Bay. Well, I mean, at that time it was kind of uh, a fairly working class suburb, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as, it's fairly gentrified these days, mm, but mm. it was, um, yeah, it was just a kind of um, a normal New Zealand place, although, I mean, But isn't that all of New Zealand before we discovered, like, kind of bottling wine yeah, properly so, and, 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 you know, how to make a flat white <laughs> like, pretty much, you know? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, there were a few kind of artists, like Alistair Campbell lived across the road and mm. um, Jenny McLeod who's sort of my godmother um, wow. lived up the road too so it's sort oh, so of you've a got some, place some, some, you've got some strong enough memories of those people in your life yeah definitely really Jenny yeah. yeah 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 wow yeah. and so where does music come from for you um, well my mum played the harp plays the harp and uh, also I mean Jenny and her were at university together and they were some best mates back then um, my dad didn't play anything, but he loved music, and he had a big collection of records, and um, mostly um, mostly classical, and then 
but not really jazz. It wasn't until I got, um, and it wasn't, yeah, I, so my first love was jazz, but that wasn't until I was about 15. Um, and that was just through, mostly, I think a bunch of things kind of happened at the same time. I sort of, I got into um, Jack Kerouac novels, mm. and he talked about jazz the whole time. And mm. So I was kind of going, oh, okay. Mm. And then I was playing the saxophone uh, from when I was, say, 13. Um, and when I was 15, my saxophone teacher took me to a gig, which was Roger Sellers playing with an Australian um, sax player. And that just blew me away. And from that moment, I was like, nah, that's what I want to do. Mm, mm. Yeah, which was kind of a bummer for everyone else involved <laughs> in my life. <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, um, I mean, I, I know the saxophone pops up in many contexts. Yeah. But I, I kind of, yeah, I just imagine a kid playing the saxophone wants to or ends up playing jazz, at least to begin with. I didn't think I really was aware it of it. It doesn't sound like... Yeah, I yeah. wasn't really aware yeah. of it, apart from... Well, what, so what, I guess what I'm saying is, why were you playing the saxophone? Yeah. Uh, so you started with the piano, I, I take it? I started with the piano when I was like five, and then I think that's that classical way of learning that you do or you did back then was a bit of a killer, vibe killer, really. <laughs> um, and so mm. uh, I shifted to the sax when I was 13, mostly trying to get out of playing the piano. <laughs> so not the greatest kind of yeah. reason for playing an instrument. Yeah. Uh, I, I also seem to remember one of my mates said they wanted to play the saxophone, and I sort of wanted to get one up on him. I think mm -mm. so. They were all just terrible reasons to be doing something, but <laughs> mm -mm. worked out well. No, I know it's like the great and better off unanswered existential question for a life of musician, but. When do you feel you have any ability whatsoever on the saxophone? Oh, it takes so long. Mm. And you, you just go through so much um, pain learning an instrument, basically, especially mm. one that sounds as awful as a saxophone does mm. in the hands of a beginner. Mm. Um, yeah, it wasn't until I maybe got to the end of... The other good thing about being that age, though, is that you're not quite aware of how bad you are. Mm. So that's... Kind of. Everything's progress. Yes. You know. It's a bit of a blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until probably the end of my first year at uni where I thought I was, could have something happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how does, how? I mean, you mentioned being in like a trio at sort of 16, 17. Yeah. I probably saw you playing when you were about 18 or 19. Yeah, well, I, I, I left school pretty much. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I could. So 16, I went to jazz school. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Why not into school or... Uh, I'd already kind of clocked it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd, they'd push me through because yeah. I was quite smart, so I'd, yeah. just, I'd, just, I'd done bursary, and mm. and then they're like, hey, stick around and you know, be a prefect. Yeah. I was like, nah. That's what I hope for something more in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the, 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 the beat poets yeah. get you into jazz in a way. In a funny way. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure, and you won't be alone in that. Probably not. Yeah. And I know, you know, I'm just thinking about it for me, like my interest in jazz as a listener came from wanting to play the drums and my mum basically saying, if you want to play the drums, here's a Buddy Rich record. Yeah. It's the only thing I have that right. has really great drums on it. Yeah. And, you know, as a 10-year-old, that blew my mind. Yeah. So then it was kind of like, where do I find more of this? So I just started looking for things vaguely in that shape. 
Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big world <laughs> called yeah, yeah. things jazz. So it wasn't just monstrous Buddy Rich solos and big band stuff. It very quickly started to morph. But like for me, the first you get these names pre-internet, and like the very first Miles Davis album I heard was Tutu. Right. You know, which is oh, quite a, a funny way kind around. of a funny way around. Yeah. But I'm quite, I'm, and I still enjoy that album. I don't like a lot of the stuff from that. The, right. the, the albums that came before that, I don't think much right. of. But yeah, I remember I, the first one I got was kind of blue, and I just thought this is which is the perfect. Well, no, I thought it was really boring. Really? Yeah, because I'd listened to Coltrane and ah, okay. Thelonious Monk, and I was okay. like, they're exciting and yeah, this they're is, exciting. This is <laughs> stately, yeah, yeah, polite. <laughs> but it's kind of the you know, it's yeah, it's probably the one of the correct ones to listen to in theory. Yeah, I don't know what I would have been impressed with it. Yeah, Miles my, my is my favourite now, but yeah, like back then it took me a while. Mm, so more of an adult taste really. yeah yeah but what I was getting to was um, from, was so outside of this sort of drumming listen to jazz find things and just being curious about music I, I then probably got into the you know poetry in general but also yeah the beat stuff and it, right. it does reinforce it and then certain movie soundtracks you know composers I think it's kind use. of a, a natural progression yeah. for a boy as well yes. like you know, the catcher in the rye mm-hmm. through to yes. Dick Kerak and Bukowski. Yes. Alienation has a score. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, you feel like you identify with it. Yeah. Uh, and you probably really don't. Yeah. Like, in terms of the, the, the that literature, those narrative themes, they're, right. they're bigger than us and they, yeah. you know, New Zealand's quaint compared to that stuff. But there is yeah. something there. There is something in there that you identify with, isn't there? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Especially, I guess... Being not not having male role models mm-hmm. around, I think that mm-hmm. was uh, yeah probably part of the reason I was into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, so what? Yeah. So, what 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 are the first significant jazz things for you? Coltrane and Thelonious. Actually, what, yeah, probably yeah. those two. I think yeah. the first one I got was my favourite things. Yeah. Which um, is kind of an amazing track, really, uh, amazing album, but that yes. track in particular. Uh, I've always loved that track. Mm. <laughs> it sounds funny to be into. What's it from? Mary Poppins? Or something? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, uh, it's not that. It's no, like sound of music. Yeah, sound of music. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Say, say. Um, the picture in my mind is yeah. essentially the same character, but yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but what? Yeah, what an amazing piece of music. Mm. And actually, I, I was on a flight not so long ago from Paris to Tokyo. And there was no movies they wanted to watch, mm. so I went through the music, and there was basically no, no music um, that I wanted to listen to. <laughs> so, but there was my favourite things, the track, mm. and I just put it on. I listened to it on repeat, on repeat yeah. for an entire long all flight. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like doing stuff so inside that. it. I mean, yeah. it's so it's such an ecstatic piece of music. Really. Yes. It's brilliant. And, I mean, my first Coltrane was um, I Love Supreme, but yeah. but then it was things like my favourite things. And yeah. I, I like, I always liked the, the, when he would go and twist those tunes. You know, like I like that. Is it Coltrane's sound that's got the Nine yeah, a Thousand Nine Eyes? Yeah, I love that. Things. You know, that's cool too. Like, yeah, that was totally. very early for me. Yeah. Yeah. My friend, yeah, you can almost make a playlist of yes. stuff like that of Coltrane. Yes. I think that's my favourite. It's always been my favourite stuff because... I think a lot of Supreme, once he gets into that, it just starts sounding so Christian and everything, but it mm-hmm. kind of turns me off. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Like, because it, it's so much about where you are in your life when you hear these things. Like, yes. I can't, I can't um, t- 
tell someone that a love supreme isn't great. It just means the world to me. Yeah. But I was about 13, and right. I, it was the first Coltrane I heard. Yeah. And, well, and it's actually like there's that you know the, the intro is beautiful, but it's actually the bass and the drums coming in. It's that little yeah. it's that little hooky groove of Elvins. Yeah, yeah. That sets that album up right. for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's an amazing album. Yeah, and and the piano. You know, it's just the the what just that introduction of voices. Yeah. Is is just exquisite. And so when I'm gushing about that album, I'm probably really thinking about the first two minutes, right. <laughs> you know, particularly. Yeah, and then yeah. whatever happens, yeah. like it goes to where it goes, but I just go back to that. I guess, the, but also I think the Thelonious Monk thing was really important for me and, and was some, he, he was someone that I got into, um, I mean, I was immediately drawn to, but then I also, the, the Coltrane for me had a kind of, Point where I was like, I can't, I can't listen to Coltrane anymore. Mm. I can't kind of mm. go down this Mm-mm. path. It's not really me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I found myself more in Thelonious mm. for a long time. Just the kind of um, the underlying humour of it, I guess. I mean, it's kind of obvious to say that, but there's a there's a thing which is much more playful about Thelonious Monk. Well, I think maybe I could be wrong here, but I think also there's the you know, composer aspect is so much more overt with him. Yeah, totally. And Coltrane wrote some shit yeah. and some great stuff, but I don't. You don't think it's of him kind as of a galaxy of music. No, like you don't think of him like you do Ellington and Thelonious. And, yeah. I mean, even Miles, you know, because yeah. he's such a, a conceptualist as an arranger and a band guy. Yeah. As well yeah. as writing some some banging tunes too, but you yeah. know, like Thelonious, it's that real. Well, he, he stole some banging. St- stole some banging. <laughs> ch- claimed some. Yeah. So he's a bit like he's a bit like Prince. You yes. know, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I could have written that, so I'll just put my name on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank you for yeah. showing me. That. <laughs> um, you know, remember who pays your yeah. pages? That's mine. But yeah, Thelonious, it's it's more like the Ellington thing in terms of a big part of who he is as a musician as a composer. Yeah, for me, I mean, for me, it goes past beyond kind of Ellington, which might be blasphemy for some people. Mm. But there's there's something just so unique about the way he thinks about harmony and everything Mm-mm. which is really just like um, next you know nobody nobody just ever kind of figured that out and you see those clips of him and he's cool as all fuck as yeah. well, and that <laughs> totally. kind of helps again yeah, especially when you're yeah. young watching it like I mean yeah. what's that that famous film Jazz on a Summer's Day yeah I remember seeing that for the first time and it was just yeah and there's several things I love about that I love that Anita a Day performance but it's Thelonious on there. He just looks like a complete man out of time. He looks light years ahead of everyone yeah. else on the bill, yeah. as well as playing cool. Yeah, just that's looks right. cool. I mean, yeah, I, I, when I was younger, I'd read stuff like the Marvel sort of biography and mm. talk about how they kind of fell out and stuff. And, mm. And I remember reading that thinking, no, I'm definitely Team Thelonious. Yeah, that. right. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of time spent reading this stuff, listening, like totally, just absorbing, yeah. right? Which is what has to happen, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I really got into the history of, of that music as mm. well as just figuring out how to play it and working out the tunes and stuff. I really tried to understand what the history was, what it meant and what it meant for those musicians and, mm. and that kind of culture and everything. Which did uh, set me apart a little bit from a lot of my kind of contemporaries who were into that music, I think. Mm. Definitely, yeah. 
just mostly get pe people who are pretty, pretty ignorant of it, really, mm. to be honest. Mm. But it hasn't helped me. <laughs> what, why is that? Just being, oh, uh, yeah. being just, uh, deemed elitist? Actually, that's something that, that's really um, come up a lot, yeah. And and I'm proudly elitist. Mm. I've got... I, I, you know, I think there's a big difference between being a snob and being elitist. Yes, yeah. I think... One is, I think, one is informed, <laughs> do you think? Well, I just think... Um, Snobbery is based on class, really. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, based yeah. on an inherent kind of class yes, structure. Yes. Whereas, I'm I I think I'm elitist because I like I, I I think it's interesting to try and do the most difficult and best thing yes, you and it's, possibly do. And it's about doing the work, like it's about doing the work and doing the research. versus like a birthright thing. With yeah, exactly. Snobbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you back it up by saying, well, this. Not by literally saying, but you can back it up by going. Well, this is these are the steps yeah. that have happened for me to arrive at this. Yeah, I don't just think I know this. I've done yeah. this and this and this. And this is something actually, just as a side note, which has cropped up recently in this kind of Radio New Zealand concert mm. thing. It's mm. the furore which yes. has happened over the last couple of weeks. Yes, is this kind of argument, and it's I've felt quite, quite conflicted about the whole thing, to be honest. You know, I signed the petition and everything, but at the same time, mm. I do think, man, they could be a bit less snobby and a bit more, and just they should own their elitism. The concert the snobbery. The concert people. Yeah. And then the actual like the, the actual brand, the, yeah, the yeah. people that work there, and as well as some of the listeners. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's been a fascinating thing. Yeah. I was um, I've been I was up in the office when it all sort of broke because right, I do a bit right. of casual work at RNZ. Right. So I happened to be there not knowing sort of knowing some murmurs that stuff was happening, knowing yeah, about the youth station, around, knowing yeah. about the, the floating of the you know, the, the youth station and knowing that Constantly FM was going to be drastically altered. Yeah. But not knowing that when I was there um, the people affected were going to be told Here's your, here's your fuck off orders and then just the other day they're, they've been reinstated and it's obviously still unfolding as yeah. we're talking it's, it has been really interesting mm. and I think the underlying for me the underlying motivation of that attack on, on concert was probably based off this thing of anti-intellectualism mm -hmm. and which does get confused in that mm -hmm. case with uh, yes. this anti-snobbery anti and everything yes yeah and they're very different things. I think anti-intellectualism is something which, um, which really, I don't think it's felt as keenly as it is in New Zealand anywhere else in the world. Interesting. And we suffer from this, as especially as artists. It's like, it's very, and it's so ingrained in artists in New Zealand that we don't even realise that we're watering stuff down or dumbing stuff down a lot of the time. Do you think that's, is, and is that just literally the case of, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to, to cut through all the cooking books and rugby programs and, you know, to make a dent outside of your little club, bubble. basically, your bubble, your club? There is that, but I, for, for, I think that, as I said, it's, it's even subconscious. Like, so many yeah. people have, have just, uh, have got that inside them, even just as human beings the artists in New Zealand uh, often have this kind of um, 
yeah, this this anti anything uh, being seen as better than something else, mm. uh, and it's concerning for me. Like it's um, without wanting without wanting to sort of um, disparage any kind of other kind of form of music. Mm. There are things which are harder to make. There are things which which take more research, yes. which take more knowledge, which yes. take a deeper understanding. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. We can't kind of pretend that that's not the case. Yes, yeah. Not all things are created equal. Like not all um, projects require yeah. the same amount of everything. Funding, you know, sometimes yeah. things require extra funding because of because of the scale yeah because of the concept because of the resources that need to go into it yeah and then also just the execution requires yeah extra training extra skill yeah 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 and everything is back payment with the arts right like you sell out four shows at the arts festival you get your fee you get your um whatever your cut is uh, based on ticket sales and that and that is paying you back not just for writing that show but everything that got you to that dance <laughs> part, yeah, of, part yeah, of dance but everything yeah. that gets you to that because you've done a lot of unpaid gigs and you've done totally. a lot of hours of woodshedding and not just you everyone but yeah. everything's back paid basically pretty much yeah and it still will be <laughs> yeah worry. and it might yeah. and it often might not be yeah. <laughs> is also the case right like totally yeah. yeah um so that informs what i'm getting at is that that kind of informs the almost almost simultaneously puffed up but defeatist psyche of a lot of artists in the eyes of others that yeah you know there's this kind of you know you you think you're a bit bigger than the game but also you you don't even know if you want to still be playing the game i guess so yeah it's i think we're going to slightly dangerous territory right now so i should better, better hold back <laughs> No, I like it, but uh, I understand that. Let's let's go back to when when jazz really clicks for you as a player. So you go to the jazz school. Yeah. What, well, it's not called that, but it is called that. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone refers to it that as that. Yeah. You meet some pretty um, interesting and influential people, I imagine. Yeah, I suppose that's the one good thing I can say about jazz school. Um, I got to to kind of be around the scene, which. Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, the people like, um, I mean, my teachers were amongst the faculty or amongst the kind of adjunct staff, as they're called these days, would be people like Jeff Henderson and Chris mm. O'Connor and um, John Bell. Mm. Um, and through them, I got involved in that scene and I met other people, Anthony Donaldson and Jonathan Crayford and all these people, yeah, in the scene. And they become like... They become your teachers more than your teachers. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And just collaborators, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. I say teachers based purely on they've done it longer than you, so they've, yeah. they've already learnt some lessons that you're going to get to. Not, not, totally. that, not that they talk down to you like a teacher. Oh, some Like a teacher. <laughs> sure, sure. But you've already got yourself in uh, murky territory. Do you want to do it again? Yeah, no, no, um, well, both um, Jonathan and Anthony, I've talked to for this podcast, yes. and they, you know, they, yeah, they have. They're both guys that have given a lot to it, haven't they? Like, oh, totally. Yeah, that, that's a lot. Nurtured of a lot of um, people and yeah. spent a lot of their own life 
pursuing something that's driving them. Well, you just have to respect anyone, anyone that's pursued their art for that long. In, in this country especially, especially you know, mm, not given up yeah, and so. also being excellent at it because you know yeah. again this is that that you you know some people pursue their art for a long time but they're fucking <laughs> hopeless at it <laughs> you yeah. know well I mean and that's that's, o- that's okay that. if that's keeping them happy yeah you know but well I hope they don't mind me saying but I, you know those guys neither of them have um, have have gained much no。Absolutely。Absolutely。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。Yeah。
and a hubby and a hubby but you guys all go through that because you kind of did that with your album from a couple of years sort of you know which is not where you want to be pigeonholed but you did yeah. that you owned that space for a record yeah, yeah for and, one record yeah. and Nathan Haynes did that about yes. 15 years ago you know with yeah. those two back to back small combo jazz albums yeah, yeah. And, he, and went you know it's funny that isn't it well I, I yeah I mean my my um, my a- ambition with that one was and I I haven't followed it up really, but mm. it was to make three records which are sort of not based not I, I kind of hate homage records mm. you know it's mm. a terrible mm. idea, but what I did want to do was do a kind of homage to record labels, and yeah, so make, right. make three records which which um, which for me were were homages to the labels which created mm-hmm. this, the music that I love that yeah, I came yeah, up with. Yeah. So what the fit that was the first one which was a kind of homage to Blue Note from, yes, the, from yeah. the early sixties. Yeah. And the other two which haven't been made yet would be <laughs> Impulse and then ECM. Sure. But yeah, so that that was the kind of thing. Well there's time there. there's time. There's right? still time. That, that's, there's a bit of time. That, that could happen. Yeah, it could happen. It, it doesn't matter if it doesn't, <laughs> but it could happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you, so you, yeah, so you play some gigs. I mean, I see you play. You're part of all sorts of things. Yeah. Big ensemble, small, you know, playing a trio. Where yeah. You're the, just, where you're kind of the lead instrument, and then playing in a section. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely kind of the sax player around town for a, for a while there. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, what are you doing thank outside? God those days are gone. <laughs> really? Well, that's that's part of the education. That's part of the education and, and the, So what were yeah. some of the things? I mean, you. You played in the Black Seeds for a bit. Yeah, well, that was, uh, well, um, we're jumping forward a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because in between that, after leaving kind of jazz school and that, and I played you know around town a lot with my own things with Anthony, with yeah. Jonathan, and with whoever. Yeah. Then I went to France and lived there most. Ah, yeah, yeah, for yeah. Six years. Yeah. Um, and so over there, I think. You had why? To, why? Why then? Well, I, I when I. I mean, you've probably sensed it already, but there's definitely an element of me which gets frustrated with living here. And sure, but why, why, why there? Why France? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, my dad had won the Catherine Mansfield Fellowship when I was little, and we'd gone over and lived there. Mm-hmm. So there'd always been a bit of a connection. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd lived there when I was seven. He actually died at the end of that mm-hmm. trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went back... Oh, at that time, I think all my friends were kind of going to London and doing the London OE. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be different. And so I went to Paris. I'd done French at high school. Didn't realise that my French was actually shareable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, I think I only thought I might stay a year. I'd set myself up with an English teaching job for the first year. And then ended up staying on. I'd met a, I met an actress over there and we, we got together. Um, and uh, and ended up staying six years, and so on that time, I think um, I think in, in France you have to be a lot more kind of specialised, and definitely even even much more so than mm-hmm. here, but even more than the states where people are, mm. musicians are a bit more open. Mm. In France, it's um, you almost have to pigeonhole yourself. Yeah, you have yeah. to say this is what I do. Yes. And there are all these kind of turf wars about who does what. Right. And if you do other things from the thing that you do, you're basically you're... you've got no credibility whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's their version of snobbery, isn't it? As, well, I in guess. In a way, yeah. like, as, as based on 
on not so much um, status but role. Like, yeah. You are the person who does this. Yeah. That's your lane. Stay in it and get be very good at that. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 So in that time, I got sort of heavily into the into a Frigé's scene. Yes. <laughs> because there were various. Yeah. 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 So there were various scenes around the. Uh, in between sort of <laughs> jazz to free jazz to improvisation to um, sort of uh, contemporary uh, classical they yeah, don't call yeah. it that at all but yeah. on that spectrum mm-hmm. there are so many groups mm-hmm. um, and so when I got there even even the kind of space scene that we had in Wellington mm-hmm. was, was just incredibly diverse by comparison Mm-hmm. Even though we'd think that that is like that's free jazz and yeah. that's the thing, actually there was so much kind of different stuff happening in the space that it was quite random. Mm-hmm. So in France, when I got there, it was very fashionable to be in this style, which was kind of called reductionist, uh, and it was basically making as few noises out of your instrument as you could, and you'd sit in these concerts and people would sort of make one noise every ten minutes. Um, wow, and I just couldn't get into that. That was kind mm. of where that was the fashionable abstract music scene. Mm. Then there was the kind of straight jazz because that's scene. a performance art thing, almost, isn't it? Almost, yeah. Yeah, and it, I think they they were so they were so anti jazz in that scene. Mm-hmm. It was seen as um, it was seen as like um, not their music, and they wanted to carve out um, own a space. From their yeah, own. yeah, yeah, and so. Not only did they those people reject like um, normal jazz, they even rejected say Evan Parker or Derek right, Bailey, people yeah. who they thought were were too jazz influenced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who were pretty out there were, for yeah, know, a lot of listeners. Aren't, aren't yeah, that's right. They're, they're pretty pretty extreme stuff. Yeah. Which, is, which is for me kind of half jazz, half yes half, um, noise. <laughs> noise. Yeah. yeah, and um, fucking great a lot yeah, of it. Awesome, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a stretch to call it jazz in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, but yeah. for them it was too jazz. They wouldn't know <laughs> yeah. this is too jazz. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. Why are you playing these notes? And so I found anyway. I found myself gravitating towards um, some of the kind of just the dregs <laughs> I shouldn't call them dregs but it was sort of this, the American scene free jazz scene that had mm. migrated there in the 60s and 70s um, like sort of Albert Eiler and well he was <laughs> dead yeah, yeah, yeah. but, yeah, but it, you, um, you know he's a figurehead in that so the go- I mean a lot of that scene gravitated around Steve Lacey who uh, yeah, lived yeah, there for yeah. since those yes, times yeah, yeah. and actually I'd, I'd, I'd intended to go and study with him but then he died so but I went, when I went to Paris, I ended up playing with some of his old musicians. Wow. Uh, John Bett, for example, Jean-Jacques Abenel, mm. um, uh, Bobby Few. So, and these guys were like old American or French guys mm. that had played with, with Lacey. Um, and then I met... Uh, the other two guys who were there at the time were Sonny Murray and Alan Silver, who was... Alan was bass player for... Pretty much everyone in the 60s. Mm, mm. I mean, he was Cecil Taylor's bass player. He was Albert Iowa's bass player. He was he played in Sun Ra for a bit. Mm. He you know he was one of the leading guys. Yeah, yeah. And then Sonny Murray, who was obviously the kind of founder of free jazz drumming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I never played with Sonny, but we hung out a bit. I remember. Wow. I was so I was so young. I just was so naive and yeah. just like I was like fuck it. I'm in Paris. I'll do. I'll give this guy a call. And. I found somebody gave me 
his phone number I rang him up and I said, hey, Sonny, I'm Lucian, I'm from New Zealand, do you want to play music sometime? And he said, look, I'm semi-retired, so no. Um, <laughs> which was fine. But then I ended up meeting a bass player, American dude, who was a friend of his, and I told him that, oh, I tried to hang out with Sonny, but he wasn't into it. And he goes, oh, just come with me. See, all he needed with Sonny is to bring him a roast chicken and a joint, and he'll be sweet. And so we did that and hung out with Sonny Murray. And, wow. And he kind of talked about, he had some crazy stories about um, how he'd been in North Africa and couldn't get out and ended up playing for a year with a belly dancing troupe or something. Wow. Just like crazy stuff. When you're meeting someone like that, yeah. are you sitting there hearing in your head the, the playing that you know from records and thinking about that or you know on some it's level funny, it was I, I I heard him on my very first week in Paris like I went to his gig which was in this tiny place called Studio des Ilettes which which shut down it was a brilliant place it was like in an apartment building kind of in a in a back room of a, an apartment building and and it was in a kind of Arab neighborhood and I went there trying to find it couldn't find it so I just got my saxophone out. But again, mm. something only a 22-year-old yeah, would yeah. do. You know, got my saxophone out and started just playing on the streets and all these little Arab kid, kids came running around and I played for them for a little while and I said, hey, do you guys know where this jazz club is? And so they took me through these doors to this to this um, back room of this apartment building and Sonny Murray was playing and he's there in his tracksuit, basically. <laughs> and I couldn't believe how much spit came out of his mouth as he played like just constant mm. drooling almost mm. like a yeah just constant drooling on a snare drum like it was wow. astounding yeah. I hang out hang out with like um, Arthur Doyle there who was a sax player who mm. was around kind of played with Sun Ra and stuff who was completely nuts like just totally totally nuts um, and yeah so the other guy I ended up hanging out with and actually then playing with and having a trio with was Alan Silver and um, uh yeah, that that was just another. I mean, all this is like a pretty deep education. For mm. Yeah, I was just going to say. So this is your real. Yeah. It, you know this. Is, you know when he, when a person plays an instrument or I guess anything any skill in life, but an instrument, you you actually go back and you can remember the kind of building block moments of I'm up yeah. I'm up a next level now. Even if you never yeah. take it out of the bedroom, you actually know. Like, you know, I know with my own rudimentary drumming when I got better than I was and then it right. took out you know what I mean and so so all of your uh, stuff you're doing almost is what it took to prepare you for this set of French experiences yeah totally <laughs> yeah and, and also I think um, it, it didn't give me a legitimacy as a player necessarily but having those experience experiences gave me uh, just an insight into what that culture really was you know a bit of a cautionary tale in some cases, or not really. Um, were these guys doing okay? Like you mentioned, one was completely nuts. Um, but were they, you know, were they as successful as they needed to be, as ha- and and as spiritually happy as they could be, or were they burnt out and jaded and fucked? As they, you know, I don't know if they're either of those things. Right. They were just doing their thing, you know. Oh, that sounds, just, that sounds pretty good then. That's, that's, actually, um, that, that's, yeah. actually, that's actually the new extraordinary, you know, like that's, yeah, yeah. that's the thing to aim for. Yeah. Okay. So, no, I don't think financially none of them yeah. were, were doing very well. Yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, I mean, I, I, going around to John Betcher's place, 
John Beach was a drummer who, as I said, played with Lacey. And, mm. um, uh, but he played with Archie Shep and mm. basically he was the Parisian drummer and all the Americans who'd come through would play with him. Um, he just lived in a room the size of this room that we're mm. sitting in right now. Mm. And that was his place and he, had, he didn't have uh, legitimate residency or anything. Yeah, so right. It's not an, it's not an easy life. That yeah, life yeah. And the, the, yeah. You know, you've got to respect those guys. Um, but so none of that put you off, <laughs> like on any level. It was just like, uh, well, as I say, yeah. I mean, yeah. money's never really been a yeah, like a particularly driving factor for me. But yeah. I mean that that comes from the that also you know you got to recognise your sort of privilege or whatever in saying that. Mm, mm. Like yeah, I I obviously. I don't come from a super wealthy family or anything, but it, I probably wouldn't end up in that situation. Yeah, yeah, realistically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, was Tony Allen there around that time? Did yeah, he live there? Did you he, have any yeah. experience seeing him? Or I, to be honest, I wasn't. Not. I was sort. I of, know uh, I would have gotten onto Falakuti and stuff. Yeah, at that yeah. Point, but I wasn't at that time. I wasn't um, heavily sort of into the African. Could you get into that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. but that was more. How do I say that? It's more. It was more because people, my friends, were into it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, hang on. Yeah. It was more because your friends were into it that, that got you into it or that kept you away from African. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. It was more that my friends got in when yeah. I came back to New Zealand. That yeah, my friends right. were into it. So that yeah. I sort of started picked up on it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking. I know because I think he's lived there for quite some time. No. Yeah. He has. Yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah. Um, I did have a friend um, in Berlin another sax player who like me was sort of into free jazz and he played with Sarone over in Berlin he ended up going into um, African music and plays with Tony Allen and tours Pat um, Pat um, Thomas mm. and uh, what's the other guy Ebo Taylor and stuff like that mm. but yeah I, I, I hadn't really properly got into that stuff when I was in Paris yeah right yeah. so you're there for about six years what brings you back um, <laughs> your time there. No, I, I was. I mean, I'd, my my relationship broke up, so it mm. was a big factor. Mm. I was also just sick of being totally broke the whole time. Mm. Yeah, it was just like a struggle. And sometimes get, it's better to be broken. I mean, you get to know that place after six years, but sometimes there's some comfort in being broken—a place where you know things a little better. Yeah, Maybe. and you just don't have your networks around. Like, we yeah. take that for granted. Yeah. But, but I know that, you know, like, there's always work come back, for me. Come back here and be broke with a whole lot of other people yeah, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, it's the security yeah, It's not that. that broke, because there's always no. work coming there's in a money at gig. some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, there is a security aspect to yeah. like-minded people going through the same things. Yeah. And you know, culturally raised in the same environment, so actually yeah. that same level of privilege, as you say, that they're yeah. aware of, even if it do, even if it isn't the yeah. most amazing sort of life of money rewards. Yeah. You're all on the same page. Yeah, and and, and so that's where I, when I came back, it pretty much straight away got invited into the Black Seeds. Yeah. Which was like a pretty... <laughs> Pretty massive YouTube, really. Yeah. Uh, just a clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I was sort of in it and not in it at the same time, which was fine. Yeah, yeah. You're a you're a kind of cameo artist or something. What the you're a sort of like you're a 
a crucial element to the sound, but oh, you're, I wouldn't say that. well, <laughs> an element of the sound that's yeah. necessary. So in that yeah. sense, crucial. Like that, but um, you're almost anonymous in a way. Like they're always going to have a horn player. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it if it's right. not you, it's someone else. So it's yeah. sort of job for you know hired hired gear. Totally, yeah. Um, and it was kind of perfect. Like being a poet and writing greeting cards. Right. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I said that, not you. Yeah. So. Yeah, words, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. But it was really good for me at the time. I think, yeah. Like getting back, and as I say, I was like just so tired of being broke. Also, I yeah. I mean, um, having having that experience was just just such a different experience of touring around the world and. Um, They'd have been playing some big shows, like festivals and things. Massive shows. Yeah. You get these big festivals over in yeah. Europe, Lowlands. Yeah. You'd, sometimes we'd walk out of the tour bus and, you know, I'd still have my pyjamas on, basically, and, and sort of my hair going in all mm. those directions. I'd look up on stage and there'd be 15,000 people out there. So it was crazy. <laughs> you know? mm. Mm. And, it, and I got to live a slightly hedonistic life for a few years like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. which was, I'm not going to lie, it was, it was at times quite fun. Yeah. But ultimately, it has shelf life. It becomes it's all sort of grist for the mill, right? Like all of this, not just the hedonism, yeah. but the uh, the U-turn of playing stuff that you didn't necessarily set out to play. Yeah, well, There's right, a stagecraft yeah. element or whatever yeah. to these things, as well as just different reaching different people. Yeah, I mean, I... I, 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 I probably did, I don't know, 500 gigs with the Black Seeds. And um, I can't I can't remember remember a single one, like, mm. the, and mm. you know it's all melded into one. Mm. You know, mm. um, which is cool. It was you know it was it was it was really good times for a while, mm. um, especially touring in Europe. I mean, also in Europe, I didn't quite have the same. I'm not stigma, but it wasn't the same kind of. Perception of that band is what yes. it is here. Yeah, yeah. So in Europe, it's something I think, especially in say Germany and Holland, where I'm not quite sure how it got famous, but I, my my kind of understanding of it was there were a lot of people who came to New Zealand in those days as young young mm. young uh, people doing their OE. They they sort of fell in love with New Zealand and the and and that music kind of reminded me. Uh, reminded them, sorry, mm. of of New Zealand, and, mm. and then they went back to Germany or wherever, and they, and they saw it as the slightly exotic, really cool thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the crowds over there were, were much, I have to say, much better than they are here. Like they'd actually, you play a sax solo with the Black Seeds, and and over there people would listen to it. Yeah. And they'd applaud at the end. Yeah, yeah. Like, Shit, yeah, that was a good solo. Yeah. Over here, it's like, what's that? Sound coming from you know yeah, people yeah. aren't even aware what instrument it's yeah, coming yeah, from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mostly because they're pissed out of their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighteen to twenty-one year olds already, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this like I've always had this, you know, my snob or elitist um, aspect is I always remember at university a friend telling me she went to the Alanis Morissette concert with her, with a couple of her mates and I said I, like that album just never meant a thing to me right when it was massive I just didn't really get the buzz and so I was like you know fuck was it any good and she was like well it was alright but you know there's that song One Hand in My Pocket and 
Alanis Morissette plays like the world's worst harmonica solo. Like it's right. literally just you know in the mouth and yeah. zip zip, you know, and yeah. bl- blowing in and out. Yeah. And so she pulls out the harmonica and does it. And yeah. this girl I knew, her friend says, "Oh, that's what makes that noise." Right. <laughs> and I was kind of like, <laughs> to me, that's always it's so unfair. But to me, that's Alanis Morissette fans. You know, yeah, like yeah. so you encountered some version of that basically. Like I definitely probably. <laughs> Just you'd look, you'd yeah. often you'd be playing at one of those songs yeah. that was in New Zealand and play a solo and just see these blank, blank faces. faces. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is a little bit disheartening. Disheartening for your craft, you know. Well, I was going to say, so you you're having a fun time. You're getting paid. I was getting paid. I was literally drunk on every single gig. Yeah. Well, so the next question around that is. Was it giving you any time to pursue what you wanted to do? But it wasn't. You were just probably well, just existing and having fun. At that time, I was also teaching at the School of Music. So um, I'd get home and sort of just... Sober up and... Sober up and and catch up on my, all my students. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I still was doing stuff. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, but I—I I mean, to be honest, I look back. Um, I went—I drove up to Auckland the other day, and I thought, um, "Wow, I, I have a car with a CD player, which I don't own anymore. I don't have a—I don't mm. have a um, CD player." So I thought, "I'll listen to all my albums," and I sort of listened to—I couldn't get through most of them, mm. to be honest. Mm. <laughs> mm. And especially ones from that period. Yeah, actually, the kind of the ones that are—the Shogun Orchestra first one, anyway. Is quite a, is a nice vibe. I enjoyed that. Yeah. But that wasn't, I, in a way, it wasn't my group. It was just that I sort of wrote the thing. Mm, mm. So that was a cool, that was kind of uh, a cool band. Yeah, it was a, good, a cool good project. Time. Yeah. And just that was also around that time. And I sort of got back to New Zealand and mm. just wanted to reconnect with all the all mm. my close friends and mm. Toby Lang and Joe Lindsay and, um, you know, um, Tim Jure and yeah. Mike. Mike Fab and all these people who are around in that scene mm. um, just reconnect with them and, and as I say it was sort of it was sort of all of our group that we just um, that I ended up and often I've ended up being that guy that has to actually sort out the music yeah yeah yeah. So, uh, the other thing that happened was the Utes which, which oh, was yeah, also yeah. a project at that time yeah. which behind the scenes I was probably doing most of the work musically you know like mm. working out what tunes we'd play mm. getting some arrangement basic arrangements together and that kind of thing mm. yeah so where well you know you, you're answering this in a sense with with these um examples but where in you and you know we know you play the piano when you're young and and all of this and all of these encounters that you've had but where in you do you develop yourself as a composer? You know, when does that really start to happen? And, and you know, when do you feel you can adequately, yeah. accurately describe yourself as a composer? Um, I think it's just been a little, little bit by little bit, you know. Mm. Uh, when I was in France, I, was, I made friends with a... A New Zealander who's a concert pianist, his name's Jeffrey Grice, he's lived there since the 80s, he's actually like a 
she's got a French version of a knighthood, so he's a pretty respected yeah. concert pianist. And we became quite close friends, and he sort of pushed me to, to composing, and um, he eventually convinced me to write some piano pieces for him, um, which I did, and he played in a big concert, um, and they were kind of a bit average, but uh, then I ended up doing my masters and doing my doctorate in composition with John Sartas, and that was mostly so I could kind of be around John a bit, but also just so that I could have a scholarship <laughs> more than anything else, because I've never I've never really wanted to be going down the academic route. So, I mean, John's extraordinary right yeah like he's amazing i mean i don't know him i i sort of dissed one tiny little thing that he did once and he got really fucked off and wrote a letter so i don't i don't know that we'll necessarily ever connect and i just want to leave him alone because the funny thing is i've actually written passionately about a lot of his stuff over the years but i totally get that people get fucked off about that stuff like so that's fine but i've always been a, a kind of fan of Right. And just being in awe of the fact that, you know, want something composed for the Olympic team, I'll, yeah, do, it, yeah, I'll yeah. do it. Want something composed for a TV ad or an installation, I'll yeah. do it. And then these other sweeping, amazing, like he's the total kind of old-fashioned, real-deal composer, but with right. a completely modern sensibility as well, right? Yeah, I mean, my, um, well, there's a couple of things there. I think being an artist, I think, is a, you know, you're constantly sort of making yourself vulnerable and I don't think a lot of people realise how vulnerable we can get. Mm. And so that's, I think a lot of, you know, you, you've, you've made a lot, you've pissed a lot of people off, oh, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, totally. And, um, and a lot of that is people's vulnerability showing, you know. Yeah, and, and, um, and, and me being a cunt too sometimes, like. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, to do as well. And, yeah, but also, like, you know, I wouldn't do this, but me, you know, my version of driving to Auckland and not being able to listen to my CDs is reading back old reviews, right? Like, yeah, I right. wouldn't do that. But, yeah. uh, y- you know, there's got to be stuff I've written that not only do I not really agree with it, but it's really shoddily put together. Because, right. you know, so I'm yeah. I'm learning on the job the whole time too, just as you are as a musician or anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I think with John, one of his, one of his great strengths was as a as a kind of teacher mm. and it's not that I felt necessary that I learnt that much to be honest um, but just that what a what a kind of gregarious guy he is and what a um, open minded person like mm. one genuinely one of the most open minded musicians I, I should really know. reach out to him and try and have a chat yeah, with him yeah. for this because it's just in my mind that as I say like I, I remember vividly that he was super fucked off and I right. and I totally thought fair enough yeah because I totally, in the way that you do, when you have 400 words to write in right. 20 minutes, I totally reduced probably, you know, a year a year of his life's work or six months right. or whatever down to one line. Was and that Little Bushman? Or yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the thing is, it was just a, 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 a... It wasn't really anything about him, but... No, no. Yeah. He was connected with that project and, yeah. and he bore the brunt of it or decided right. that or decided that he did. But I'd actually, you know, I used to review classical CDs for a for a magazine and I used to always pick out things that he was working on and write about them and stuff. So I am a fa- I am a fa- mm. and as much as my my knowledge is pretty limited of that stuff, but I'm a, 
you know, I'm a fan of what I hear. The thing with Jonas is so, so he's so prolific. Yeah. That you're going to find yeah. something oh, you like. That's right. <laughs> well, that's true too. That's right. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. That's why I've always been kind of in awe of him because yeah. my understanding is he's just a guy who fucking works. He works so hard. Yeah. And I, I mean, know this about him that he's been this, ment- you know, one of these people who in Wellington, in New Zealand and Wellington music, he's been a mentor yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So you experienced that firsthand. We're just we became super super good friends to be honest mm. that, that uh, and um, yeah as I say I've just so much respect for the way for his work ethic mm. <laughs> like he gets up at 4am every morning and mm. will work through till the evening mm. that's and when he was teaching at uni he'd get up at 4am and he'd get a day's work bef- done before yeah, he yeah. went to uni you know yeah. Like, who can do that? <laughs> well, um, that's uh, who can do that, but that that's the old trick for a lot of people, isn't it? Like, totally. a lot of writers in this country and musicians and uh, do that. Like, they get up at 4 yeah. or 5 a.m. A lot of people have put novels into this world mm. by getting up at 5 a.m., yeah. writing for two hours, making the kids breakfast, seeing them off to school, yeah. then going off to their day job. And that two hours or three hours that they get builds up and over a year they've released a book. But, yeah. you know, the people at their um, <laughs> government job don't know that, you yeah, know, until yeah, they're invited yeah. to a book launch. That's kind of the unsexy reality of <laughs> publishing guess. in New Zealand. Yeah, I don't know. I just... I, so, so I can work extremely fast. So if I... I sort of don't see why it takes that long. <laughs> yeah, but this, I, I'm a bit the same too. Yeah. With 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 what I do, I can pump things out, and yeah. and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe mm. I shouldn't do as much, and maybe I should take more time on certain things. And I know that, but you know, for, we for all me, we I, all just have a different process. Yeah, different process. And I think for me, like a lot of a lot of the artistic process is just kind of reflecting on things, and that's mm. kind of a. A contemplation time mm, you know, mm. more than anything else so, may, maybe I sound lazy <laughs> by saying that but. so then you get into the kind of so you get into the afro beat yeah, not, thing not a so little much, bit but little you bit get more, more into the actual jazz yeah I, I was more drawn to the ethio jazz e- ethio jazz than, yeah, than, yeah. Uh, than afro beat yeah I just, but I mean that has an influence in Shogun and yeah, know, yeah, totally. stuff like that yeah. like there is there is yeah. some stuff there I feel like Afrobeat's more music for rhythm section. Yes. In, in a yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ethio Jazz had a real kind of ensemble ensemble thing, and mm. yeah, I um. So how did that come about? That how did you? <laughs> how did are, are you out the other side of that? Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, how did that come about? Like, how did you get? Because um, you go over there, right? Like you go. There. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, I I think Justin Clark introduced me to that music way back like yeah about 2002 or something and it was Gitachi Mercuria the, the sax player mm. and I heard him and I was just like wow this guy's incredible he's like I mean he, for me he's up there with Sonny Rollins or mm. whoever as, mm. a, as a saxophone stylist you mm, know? Mm. like nobody plays like that guy and so I, I really kind of studied him for a bit um, and it's there are there are um, uh, there are basically kind of four scales in Ethiopian music and the modern kind of Ethiopian music which are based on traditional scales but which kind of have been I guess homogenised into a, into a western format hmm. and that's what that music is based on and they're quite unique sounding scales um, 
and this whole wealth of this musical style has has sprung out of that. Um, and when yeah, I went over there because I, I ended up doing some research on it during my doctorate, and um, kind of uh, I played with Milato Starke and hung out with him a bit, mm. uh, and that was that was kind of interesting. I went to his club one night. Um, he's got a club in Addis Ababa where uh, it's called the African Jazz Village which is quite an amazing place it's like it's like the dance palais you know the one mm. that comes up in the mm. festival mm. it's, it's got like a mezzanine as well so it's wow. just quite a big place yeah. and it's quite remarkable so there was a, a local um, ensemble playing there and uh, <laughs> he sort of said oh, he introduced me to them at, at their break and said oh, this is Lucy and he's going to play with you in the second half and they're all like, oh god, some white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, no. About to play Careless Whisper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, you know, what Mulatto says goes. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, he's oh, the boss. Okay. <laughs> so I get up and, and the guy kind of whispers to me, oh, the next one's in, I don't know, B flat or whatever. And they start up the grove and I recognised it as a, you know, it's like a traditional mm, tune that, um, but Katachi Mercuri had recorded it, so I knew it, you know, because mm. I'd studied it. Of course I knew it, and I transcribed his stuff. So I played this thing basically pretty close to how Katachi yeah. played it. And now I was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that must have been a pretty cool moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By then they were like, that's a validation, right? You, yeah. yeah. They're like, we're going to give you an Ethiopian passport, <laughs> and like, come down anytime. Yeah. And the, the Ethiopian cultural minister was in the audience, <laughs> and he's like inviting me around for lunch. Wow. And so the next day we were around at his place having this lunch, and he's, tr- he's trying to sign off these deals, like selling forests or something. <laughs> It was just a totally bizarre, bizarre experience. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So, yeah, that's a cool experience. And then, because he comes out to New Zealand to play. Yeah. Lato, Malacho, yeah. and you... That was where I met him. Yeah, right. Which was a slightly unhappy experience because of the band that he played. Oh, with. okay. Yeah, I didn't see that. I was going to... I don't know why I didn't get to that, oh, but... Oh, no, it's probably lucky you didn't. Really? Yeah. So what happened there? Oh, it was just a... Uh, just a pick-up thing that didn't Not, work well, out it should or... have been a pickup thing and I was ah. actually really mad at the festival that it wasn't that right because, you uh, guys would have you would have, got... would have slain it yeah uh, but yeah the, the he he was touring with an Australian band I think okay. I think basically he was he's at a point where like he was unknown for so long yes he gets to the age of what 65 and yeah. suddenly everyone loves him and yeah. wants him to play yeah and he's just like yeah I'll play yeah and so he'll play with anyone yeah, yeah. And, and these Aussies got, Aussie guys had got a cottoned on to it, but they sort of had no idea. Wow. Uh, they knew that he was famous, but they had, yeah, they didn't had really... no real sensibility for yeah, it. Yeah, wow, that's disappointing. And, yeah, and so, I mean, like, the the moment I got to the sound check, um, I mean, I, I let, I let Malatu borrow my Wurlitzer, because he was like, I need a Wurlitzer. And the festival rang me out and said, well, actually, I've got one. You can, you know, which is um, kind of a normal thing to do. Mm, mm. But then I turn up and he's got another keyboard player and this guy's just got like a, an, um, uh, like one of those Nord things mm. uh, with the terrible kind of piano sound. And yeah, yeah. And he's kind of in the sound check, like playing some hack bebop lines and stuff. <laughs> and I went over and introduced myself and he goes, I played with Dizzy Gillespie. <laughs> this old guy like, and I was just like, "Come on, man!" 
so what? Yeah, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. And that, yeah, so that was. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. But the return visit was. The return visit was was really interesting. Yeah. Okay, and so you've clocked that now. Kind of for now, you parked. Yeah, it. you've I've parked, parked that. It. Yeah, I've parked it. it. Was a bit. I think it was a bit of a cul-de-sac in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've explored. That's right. You've explored what you needed to do there. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, maybe in my career, I should have like been more consistent and and sort of one-eyed about what I wanted to do. But I've I've kind of gone through these various cul-de-sacs. At yeah. So then you come back, and around this time, you must come back and do this sort of more straight ahead album we referenced before yeah yeah so was that a response to that do you think like of I think I just wanted to do something and that's a dream team of yeah your local guys it was a dream team your mates the problem with that was that we didn't get enough playing and rehearsing and because mm -hmm. everyone was in various parts of the country and Mm -hmm. that's just the way it works out Um, so I think it's I think that's quite a Good album, quite a listen yeah, to I was going to say you might not be able to listen to it, but maybe no, maybe that's one of the ones you can. But it's pretty good. Like it's, it's kind of de- a three star album, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that's 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 it's good, solid, isn't it? Yeah. That's that's yeah. what more people should be aiming for. <laughs> for <laughs> your sights low, and you're think, disappointed. I think more people should be aiming for three star records, right. and you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, why did I do that? It was that part of that idea that I talked about before? Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's sort of trying to get, I trying to trying to get a sense of why I got and play the music that I got me into this in the first mm. place. Mm. In a way, I think I needed to kind of recalibrate mm. and use that as a kind of point of departure, if you'll excuse the jazz pun. Mm. Um, to it's all right. I'll allow reset. it. It's, a, it's yeah. a good album. It's a good album. So I'll allow yeah. that. <laughs> Just to reset and recalibrate and yeah. like start again. In yeah. A way. Yeah. Yeah, and so and then what? Like so, then you start. This is when you start becoming composer with a capital C. I don't know. Kind of. Am I? <laughs> well, your bio sort of lists it now. Right. You're not just a musician; you're a musician and composer. So I, yeah. that's what I was getting at before. Like, I yeah. don't imagine you walk through customs and write composer down. I imagine you write, you know, musician. musician. Like maybe yeah. John Pasathis writes down composer. composer He's allowed yeah. to, but, but. You're getting towards that. Your bio is telling me that you're getting yeah, towards well, that. Well, I mean, that's also just the way, um, in terms of kind of how you uh, exist. Like, um, you you have to, as you get older, you have to try and concentrate your energies on on stuff that um, hmm. is going to be more, you know, has more follow through. And so the the idea of kind of doing being the sax player around town, you've done uh, it. I, well, it's not just that I've done it, but it's tiring, and it's yeah. like um, it, it doesn't go anywhere. No, well, it's I mean you've done it and you're done with it. Like it's, yeah, totally. it's more I mean, you're done with it. Like my I, my first ever gig was when I was 15 years old in a pub in Lower Hutt, and I got paid 100 bucks. So things haven't changed. Like yeah, I was going to say that yeah, that's a, that's a uh, that'd be a similar that, wage. Yeah, that was like 1996 <laughs> or yeah, something. That's know? pretty so good. Like, like so you'd that, have been over the moon then. Totally at that yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, when I first got out of uni, I was probably earning a, something pretty close to say a f- first year teacher or something. Like, yeah. Not that far yeah, away. Yeah. 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 And that yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah, that's like not even possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you make that work now? Like in terms of 
getting by like we can all decide that we set our sights significantly low or realistic towards what we want to bring in in a year but how are you how are you surviving in terms of what you do like I mean, it's just a still a, it's always been a kind of subsistence level. There have uh-huh. been, been moment, moments where I've where I've been doing a little bit better. Or, yeah, you know, but it's pretty much. So there's no no plan beyond like, this is the gig right now. This is a good gig to be doing, and uh, money will come either from this or or from something else that will. Yeah. Support this. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there have been times where I worked as a gardener. Yeah. I worked as after I finished my doctorate. Um, I'd had it, yeah, I worked for two years as, as a gardener. It's just, just the reality of... Yeah, well, look, there's, no, there's no shame in this, in no, this stuff. No. I'm, just, I'm just curious about yeah, it. Yeah. Like, there's no, you know, and I think, like, something happened a few years ago where people just suddenly started being really open about day jobs and part-time jobs right. when, when maybe 15 and 20 years ago you were supposed to be a full-time musician only or a full-time yeah. artist. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not livid about it. No, 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 <laughs> totally. It makes me so, it makes me mad. It's yeah. the lack of respect people have for, for music. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's devastating, really. And what do, you do, what do you do about that to, you know, what are your options? You can, um, you can give up and go, well, fuck, I lost at that, and then be yeah. really unhappy, you know, doing whatever else you're going to do as a full time, <laughs> right? So you can do that. And so you don't strike me as someone who's ever going to do that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's right. Like, that's the thing. Some yeah. days, right? Like, yeah. you, you go, well, fuck, anything else would be easier. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what's the, other, what's the other option, you know? How do you push through it? Again, I guess that's the daily question or the weekly question. Yeah, it is. A, a, you know, it's something that crops up in my mind all the time, basically. But I, I, I then it goes back to the idea of wealth being time, mm. because the the truth is, um, that that thing is is just having the time to be able to reflect and to learn, is more valuable to me than anything material, really. Mm. Um, and even if I say, you know, like I've, um, even if I say I, I can't stand listening to my own albums and that kind of thing, I I do think. The thing about having time and 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 pursuing a path of, of learning, I mean, you're trying to create something beautiful. Actually, you're not you're not even trying to create something beautiful. You're just trying to cultivate a kind of environment so that beauty can occur. That's mm. the aim, really, mm. and that comes from learning. Like, it doesn't. If if you if you're making something which you know is going to work. You've already, um, it's a repetition. You've already mm-hmm. done it, mm-hmm. um, and the really pleasurable thing is creating an environment for something to occur, which is really beautiful, which can only be ephemeral and mm. spontaneous. You know? mm. So, is that what was happening with Miles Davis with those albums in the eighties? That, that that kind of, I mean, I know, I know, <laughs> someone else was steering the ship, right? But do you think he'd just given over to the like repetitional do? Like, oh, um, 
repetition will do for now because I'm bereft of ideas and can't be fucked. I'm tired. Oh man, I think he was just going with whatever. Yeah, I think he just wanted someone's to... written me an album. I'll do it. Like yeah, that's it what it sort of comes yeah, across. Yeah, he was right? on a scene and there was people kind of revering him. And yeah, was just yeah. Like, yeah, I'll go along with this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because something comes from that in the end, I think. Like, as I say, that Tutu album has something that the others right. don't, and then from there, also, the last... yeah, That's the one area of Miles yeah, that yeah. I haven't Oh, it's not worth it. it. It's not, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not particularly worth yeah. it. But it's just, it's, it is interesting, I guess, in the, in the context of um, him just, yeah, settling in for the ride and basically going, yeah, these people revere me, I'll turn yeah. up and do this. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll toot my horn. Yeah, just... Yeah,ちょっとバスケのゴール。いや。いやいやいや、バスケ。ファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファンファン
and that's a mm. real you know collaborative process that's and those are really art house films so yeah. like it's not you know they're, they're mm. not they're not trying to win awards or get particularly even get bums on seats I don't mm. think they're I think though that the, the, the for me the possibilities of of theatre are uh, infinite mm-hmm. and um, we have this impression of theatre often in New Zealand that uh, you, you know like you, often you go to plays and it say circular and stuff and everything's happening in someone's drawing room and people are sitting around yeah. talking to each other yeah I got into theatre mostly when I was in Paris and like the kind of contemporary theatre scene and, mm. uh, it's like any, any it, it's it's a space where anything can happen mm. and anything does happen like it's mm. so vast that that world so you can have you can have traditional theatre like that but there's so much kind of design based theatre or mm. or music um, based theatre I'm thinking of something like Heine Goebbels I don't know if yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. but like just amazing possibilities and that's something that sort of we want to explore more is this this world of dance theatre and choreographic theatre and, yes. and music theatre rather than musical theatre, music theatre. Yeah. You know, these things which are driven by more than text mm, and, mm. And, and are about creating a, a world and a universe and, and stuff. Mm. Uh, which for me, yeah, is much more exciting than, than working in film where you I suspect most of the time just someone's lucky yeah, yeah 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 now I'm going to ask a naive question do you are you primarily a piano based composer is that your um, or do you move around or do you old fashioned write write I do, do a bit of everything yeah yeah yeah, yeah so, so, you, so I had um, I've written for the I had a piece played by the, by the NZSO last year um, and I wrote some piano pieces uh, not that long ago, which I'm hoping to put out at some point, which are like nocturnes, which are mm. something I'm really proud of. Um, but then, yeah, for for the uh, I guess working in dance and that often you're kind of I use a lot, I use a lot of samples and stuff in sample libraries a lot of the time just mm. because of partly because of money. There's never the mm. budget to mm. actually just. Yeah, create. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your budgets are tiny. Yes. Um, so, and the other thing is, like, you just can't compete with the recording quality of mm. if you're trying to record everything yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't have a budget, like, you put that up against sample-based stuff. Yeah. So, I think we're all kind of trapped into this world a bit. But I do add, I do add my own yeah. um, stuff. Yeah. And so. Like in this show that we're putting on, I'm playing playing along live with heaps of very, you know, I've got all these sound design yeah, yeah. instruments like, yeah. that you can do live, which for me makes it much more interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what are you expanding your uh, playing vocabulary across several instruments? Like, have you are you still looking to find instruments to get sounds out of? Or uh, yeah, a little bit, l- but I'm also. And what what can you play legally? <laughs> you know, like, you know, what have, you know, piano and saxophone, what else have you semi-regularly performed well, with or I, composed with? I've, I've, back in the day I was playing more clarinet and flute. Mm, mm. And actually my flute playing at one point got proved to be pretty legit. I yeah, think. yeah. And then I've kind of given it away. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought better of it. I guess, um, but then in the, yeah, I, 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 in the theatre context, I use more to stuff it. Yeah. Um, 
like I've got this thing which is like a little sound box which has kind of contact mics on the inside yeah, and yeah, yeah. street noises and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And synthesizers and, and whatever, you know. Yeah, cool. Like um but yeah, as I don't I I only considered myself a saxophonist really in terms of being a a player. A player. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and so you'll you'll come away from these experiences with uh, new things to say on the saxophone, no doubt. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think my saxophone is sounding pretty good these days. <laughs> mm. no, I'm, I'm sure. Happy with it. I'm happy with it. I haven't it. seen you play for a long time, but I'm no, sure. No, I don't do so much. No, time. no. <laughs> which is the irony of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So but I'm still playing in Lord Echo, which, um, yeah. which is always a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are great mm. records. Mm. Great sounding. Yeah, beautiful sounding. Beautiful sounding. Yes, I love the really first great. one. Like, yeah. particularly just yeah. just had it again. It's got, you know, I don't know what you know. That's something you can kind of put on and you'll never tire of it. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I I think so. Yeah, and it has that. You know, it's. I know people in New Zealand are making world class records, but yeah, but that has an absolute international quality sound yeah, sonic totally. to it because I, I always go back to like I remember I mean this is a long time ago but I remember when Scribe's album came out and people were going on about the production and how great it was and I right. was just, I mean I was I was neither here nor there like you couldn't escape the singles but I was yeah. not really a fan right but I thought it sounded like garbage. You know, I right. couldn't actually work out what people were fucking talking about. Like, wh- I think they just liked the song, yeah. which is fine. But they were talking it up like P Money had done this, and I know he can produce because, like, I had actually liked his first instrumental record, which showed he could okay. put beats together and produce in that sense. But this sounded like it had been knocked up in an afternoon in a yeah. fucking garage. You know, it mm. sounded horrible. Right. Uh, I mean the other side of the, I don't know that stuff <laughs> yeah at all. well you don't need to, again right. you don't need to like get, go to the Miles Davis 80s stuff before you go to that yeah, right, okay. <laughs> you know um, the other side of the coin is just so, so much stuff is so clean yeah yeah know? and so yeah like, yeah especially I don't I don't you know uh, there's a certain New Zealand jazz label which um, which just sounds so clean and then you find out like behind the scenes they're recording most of these albums um, like multi tracks which to me is kind of like cheating. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> not, I mean, like you can do anything to make your music, right? But yeah, if yeah. you're going to pretend to make a an actual jazz record yes. in the traditional sense, you should do it. Not you should you should <laughs> yeah. play the fucking music. Yeah, not yeah. like do it one by one and yeah and you know put, put it together and put yeah, it together pretend and play that your was... favorite solo and then choose that one. You know, yeah. It's yeah. got to be warts and all, I reckon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you still actively a jazz listener? Like you're not, you, um, or not so much, or I'm, I'm, I've become such a discerning listener. I mean, when I was when I was younger, I listened to so much stuff, and I sort of tried to listen to as much as I could. Uh, and then, um, over recent years, I've just become like. I, th- I find one thing mm. and I'll thrash it for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I'll really get inside it. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of listener I've become. Yeah, I've become a little, as much as I'm, as much as I can, because I'm still trying to be across a few things, yeah. I've become much more like that well, too. Your, like, yeah. Well, it's never your job to be able to hear. It's never like, really been my, my job, job, and you know, in yeah. terms, but yeah, you're right, it's the yeah. role of, yeah. you know, that's right. But You've got to be aware of stuff. And being, to a certain extent, yes. I do too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but I'm definitely I'll, finding what you're saying. Like, I will just find something. Yeah. And if not, um, a record than you know 
an artist, an era, a producer. You know, there's something, and it's just a finite batch of albums and might be just working through five or six albums. Yeah. But there's some connection point yeah. around that. And then, you know, or I'll do like a, a deep dive on an artist and go through their whole catalogue. Someone I haven't listened to for ages, and I might yeah. go through their whole catalogue. And yeah. I just play Stevie Wonder Records. Yeah. From start to finish, which right. is quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit like your thing with listening to your own records. To, you know, some of them I can't listen to, and some of yeah, them I yeah. can. Like some of those Stevie Wonder records are mind blowing, and some of them are pretty, pretty naff. Yeah. And that's kind of fun too to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I worked. I mean, that's why that Miles Davis stuff came back because I actually worked through as many of the. Mm. Miles albums as I had a couple of years ago in order and it was yeah. fascinating to see the drop off points like yeah there's, a, there's so a guy I'm listening to at the moment is Tim Byrne because like do you know Tim Byrne oh. he's, a, he's an American sax player um, who uh, he started as a student of Julius Hemphill's in the 70s mm. and kind of uh, in my brain was was um, in with John Zorn because mm-hmm. he played with he plays on Spy vs. Spy oh, yeah, he plays yeah. on the Big Gun Down yeah um, and then he, he's kept on being very prolific actually in the 90s I think um, I listened to him a bit because uh, he was sort of in the air around there and actually I think Jeff Henderson for example was like his, his early style was mm. completely Tim Byrne Right. It was so like Syzygy and that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. So Tim Byrne and Fuck Syzygy, that's classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a real, but when I was in New York last year, I went to one of Tim Byrne's concerts. Mm. Um, and I wasn't expecting that much, but man, he was oh, incredible. Oh, check him out, yeah. Incredible, yeah. So, and I actually hooked up with, with Tim over there, and I'm going to be bringing him out for the Jazz Festival this year. Yeah, cool. Um, doing some gigs with Anthony and Dan Beban. Awesome. Um, and uh, his music's really interesting. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, where do you sit with, or where did you sit with John Zorn? John Zorn? Yeah, what did he mean to you? Not, not a whole not lot. Not much? Not much. Um, interesting. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking like he's... It was funny though, yeah. I saw him at the Vanguard and yeah. play. I mean, I sort of half-cocked in here to Masada. That was mm, probably the... Mm, mm. Um, I mean that early stuff like where he's doing collage kind of style yeah and it's just dated so terribly yeah, I mean, yeah. it just sounds like the worst idea anyone could have at the moment mm. I think. Mm. <laughs> you know? same it's sort of for me it comes I don't know if this is legit but it sort of is an extension of Zapper because kind yes, of like yes. Zapper and John Cage combined and yeah, yeah. John Zorn well it, one, one, one aspect where John Zorn's very like Zapper is it's there's so much yeah. that it's it can become hard to access, even though right. it's so it's so arguably so accessible in terms of they're so prolific. But yeah. where's your entry point, right? And if yeah. you, or or your re-entry point because I did Zapper to death right when I was nineteen, yeah, twenty, so I do it. and do it. and apart from the, I have a couple of things I like and yeah. I go to once or twice a year but I mean I owned everything you could own and then I sold right. it all because I was like I'm never you know this I'm, this is absurd like, you must be about the youngest Zappa lover probably You're yeah probably just the last possibly level. the last of the <laughs> the last of the nearly yeah. fanatics and then, yeah, then yeah. I gave it up like right. maybe yeah yeah that's right but no with, but Zorn with Zorn, was yeah because um, I've always I been interested but when I was in New York I saw him with this kind of new Masada group, mm-hmm. 
Um, and I've never heard someone, a professional saxophone player, sound so bad. Wow. It was astounding how bad his saxophone playing was. Like His he, playing? His actual yeah. playing, yeah. So wow. his sound was like a, a combination of sort of extremely brash and loud, but also incredibly thin. And mm, kind of, okay. And you could tell, like, just from a, a saxophone perspective, you could just tell that he wasn't putting much, hadn't been putting much work yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, like, trying to control the squeaking mm. and it wasn't really happening. So that was a bit rough. Uh, I, I do like some of his compositions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, it's, not, it's not. And he's sort of... Tim Byrne, if you like, is like, he's maybe less conceptual in a way. Yeah. But, I mean, he did some amazing records with Bill Frizzell and uh-huh. those kind of people. Yeah. But, like, it's pretty hardcore as well. Yeah. But it's heaps, he's just like 10 times the same. Right, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've only owned a, a handful of Zorn records. Yeah. But the ones that, you know, I mean, I loved Naked City back in the day. And, right, you yeah. You know, and that sort I of thing. But I imagine more. that I imagine that would sound really bad now too. Like <laughs> it's just fuck, it's thirty years old, yeah. you know, like I think I think um it would be comical. I, I mean I don't want to totally disjunct yeah, yeah. him. I think he's got his place in it. <laughs> sure. I, as the compositions I thought were cool and, yeah. and like I think his strength is probably also as a kind of curator and yeah, kind of and, a, and a figurehead, like yeah. a, a band leader and yeah, yeah. you know, the you, you he's one of those people and again that's a bit like Zapper as you go to them in a way for yeah. To find some of the extraordinary performances other people give. Yeah. 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 So, like, yeah, yeah. Mm. I always, because I, I, you know, well, maybe I won't ask you what you think, but I always sort of no, thought that, yeah, was Jeff Henderson, like, New Zealand's John Zorn, like, in a way, like, mm. in t- you know, not not in terms of sounding like him, but just in terms of the right. overall arc and influence. Yeah. I mean, Jeff is... Uh, Jeff's well, what's your like, relationship with Jeff? Oh, I mean, it's been quite varied over yeah, the years. Yeah. But I, I, I just totally respect him as a, mm. for everything he does, mm. as a, and especially as a saxophone player. Mm. There's um, very few who can. He's one of the best in the world. Mm. Um, mm. So, but yeah, I think as maybe as a kind of you could draw that parallel in terms of the organisation organization that he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as a musician, he's sort of gone through all these different influences and he often sort of especially earlier on kind of wore his influences on his sleeve yes but, yeah um, but yeah as I mean Jeff Henderson as a sex player just kills John Zorn yeah yeah <laughs> to be honest yeah 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 fascinating yeah well um, we've had a pretty big interesting chat is there anything that I've left out that you want to get to or anything you want to bring up that we haven't no, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, this yeah, is certainly the longest we've ever talked. Yeah, totally. And um, and good luck with the show. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, I look yeah. forward to seeing it.